0: Every experience we have has a lot of information in it. There's a lot of data that every experience is packed with. And our job, if we get out of our way, if I don't blame myself, if I don't should myself, if I stay connected to the experience, I can extract from that experience a lot of information about my life. And out of that marriage, I really got clear on what I wanted in
1: my life. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's New Frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety.
2: Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, I I believe we've rescheduled before, but I believe I missed my first podcast since we've we've begun last time to to go to God's Son's daughter's baptism. Uh, and, it, uh, and I, I was so aware of not being with you guys during the time. I really, really did miss it. I realized, you know, we've, we've talked about how big a deal this, this is for us personally, but, uh, so I'm glad to be back with you, Patrick. And, and, uh, and, and with Alan and had, I haven't actually
0: uh, had a conversation with you in this little while, Alan, how are you doing? No, I'm doing okay. I, uh, my allergies are doing much better, thankfully so. So I'm feeling a little better. Good. Um, but going to follow up with a pulmonologist this week to just check on a few things. Because there, there is some residual. I can feel it when I, I get some exercise-induced asthma right now. So my lungs are not totally back, but they're much mm-hmm. better than they were. Um, you know, it's been a couple busy weeks, man. I mean, look, a lot of stuff is going on. Um, You have got a workshop coming up, so I want to take Mm -hmm. a minute to talk about that this coming Saturday. Mm -hmm. Brian, why don't you tell people about that? What are you guys doing?
2: Well, we're doing we're doing. It's called an uh, in, intra intrapersonal improv, and it's just you know it's it's I, I I've discovered that the name kind of uh, rather than just makes people smile, it, it kind of scares people a little bit because it, because it brings about the idea of of you know the unpredictable. But of course, you you and I know that everything we do is unpredictable. <laughs> so it's, it's like it really is just another name for for what kind of what we do. But but what I'm hoping to do well, first of all, I wanted to work with Brian because I've really you know I, I, one of the things. I've appreciated about working with you guys and doing the Thursday group is it's put me in touch with, with Brian. I know you guys, you guys, I, I just saw some pictures of you guys last, last week uh, doing the, doing the podcast and and I, and I thought they're having too much fun without me. I don't, I don't appreciate that <laughs> at all. I took, I started taking it personally. I had to use my emotional sobriety to, to, to write myself, but, it, but you know, I, I, he's, he's such a sharp guy, but I also immediately just, you know, just identified that he has a great, a great, uh, sense of humor, and so when I when I thought about doing something that was, good, you know, when I th- when I think of this 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 workshop being it's just a three hour Zoom workshop, it's going to be there'll be some there'll be you know there's a little structure I'll even I can do that a little bit of structure for it, but it's it's really to help people get some information about this, about this, this intrapersonal separation and how to, you know, it's like, you know, the a demonstration of the thing I say, which is we all talk to ourselves. We just need to get better at it. You know, it's like it's not a bad thing to talk to ourselves. And and so uh, and I thought, you know, and this is the way I do it so often in, in therapy anyway, is we might as well have fun with it while we're doing it. So so I hope I hope that we're going to do two things. I hope we're going to teach you a little bit more about the differentiation and the, and the separation method that I, that I've been teaching for years but I also uh I like I like to try to share the the attitude that we can we can be lighthearted with with all of this work as well okay. it doesn't it doesn't mean ignoring the negative stuff but it's it's the, some of it's really heavy but but even that stuff we can find some 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 uh humor in
0: no and and you do that well as a clinician is balance mm-hmm. that the humor with with the seriousness. Mm-hmm. Right, the first one's filled up, right? This this coming- Yeah, yep. we have another date set for for June the, the 11th. June 11th, so, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I, they can
2: register through your website? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, well, uh, well. Uh, speaking of improv, how about me just figuring this out by the seat of my pants? They can just email, e- if people are interested, they just need to e- email me, or, and you can do that at my website, or just email me directly at
0: tomrutledgeauthor at gmail. And then we've got a workshop coming up together. I know. I'm excited. June, June 26th mm-hmm. in Lambertville, New Jersey, and that's uh, at Harmony Hollow Farm, which is a beautiful property. I was just there yesterday.
2: Oh man, I saw the. I saw the. I went to the website. And saw the, the yeah, pictures. Just,
0: God, oh, beautiful. beautiful! It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And I was there yesterday. They have a AA meeting once a month, and uh, and that's right. So that'll be the weekend. That they'll be having their AA meeting, so on Saturday we'll go to the AA
1: meeting together. Okay, good. I'm um, stoked, stoked for that. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick's, com- Patrick's Patrick, coming. Patrick? So, Patrick's so coming. So, yeah, Who Harmony Hollow. Out? Yeah, Harmony Hollow sounds kind of like Sleepy Hollow after they rooted the Headless you know, Horseman out.
0: This one's got a good energy to it, so nobody's going to get. There's nobody you know a har- Headless Horseman driving around. Oh, thank I God, love I, it. Really I love it. Wow. So our workshop there is emotional sobriety, and it's the path to inner peace and emotional freedom. That's what we're going to be focused on. That's a whole day. We start at ten in the morning, and we're going to wrap at five o'clock. There's a lunch. It's it's very affordable workshop. We keep the price down so people can come. So you know, please, please, if you want more information, I'm going to get Patrick the flyer. If you can post it, that oh, well. information in the uh, in the upcoming podcast. But it's a real great opportunity to get together with like minded folks. And to really start to dig into this stuff and and do some of the depth work that's necessary to achieve emotional sobriety. So I'm excited, Tom. It's going to be a great day. Oh,
2: well, I'm, I'm excited about that, because we haven't you know, it's, it's in. Of course, even when we're doing workshops, we get you know, we get to do that. Uh, we get to do one of the things that, that both of us love to do, which is teach by demonstration. And uh, and, we, and we and we both get to do that. And the other piece that we discovered early on in our working together is just uh, we've had a couple of people who had feedback that, that described that better than i could which is just that you and i are in a process of learning while we're while we're in the middle of the workshop and talking to each other about the stuff it's like there's it's and it really isn't unusual for one of us to go like oh wait a minute wait a minute! If, if if what you just said is true then that means you know da, 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 and, and you know and we and we say, let's try some let's try something else and we and we and we and we are uh,
0: experimenting all the way so I'm excited to do that. I am too. I'm too. It's going to, I'm really looking forward, looking forward to spending time with you guys and and just having a wonderful weekend. Well, I'm looking forward to I've seen I haven't seen Jess and,
2: and the kids oh. forever. And I mean, you know, it's amazing. It just,
1: it's it'll like, be my, it'll be my first time coming out from under a rock for one of these things uh, since the pandemic started. So that's significant for me.
2: Yeah. Me too, me too, Patrick.
0: I'll, I'll be coming from Morocco. And if you're
1: concerned <laughs> about that, is is the great
0: thing about the venue we're doing it at? We're going to be in a in an old stable uh, that's been converted into a uh, convention center, and so we're on the second floor of that barn. I guess where they kept the what they the keep loft, it? the loft. It's a hayloft, uh, yeah. Yeah, doesn't look yeah. like a hayloft anymore. I, I mean, mean, yeah, yeah, but, but that's what. It's, it's amazing. That's what it was, right? A halo. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it, so everything the windows will be open, the doors will be open, the fans will be on, and there's a lot oh, of ventilation. So even though we're in close quarters, it's pretty close to being outside. Well, you know, what's going
2: to happen, Alan, you and I are going to do this and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to re I don't think it's going to take much to reignite our desire to do some more workshops.
0: Yeah. So that sounds like a wonderful place to start. No, and and listen, and if any of you are listening and you want to bring Tom and I to your to your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're available. We'd be more than glad to get into some kind of a dialogue about what that would Mm -hmm. mean and what it would take to bring us out. So, oh, absolutely. You know, more of a crass way. That is one way
2: to many ways to define emotional sobriety. It's really focusing on the shit that matters.
0: Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, part of that shit that matters today. First of all, we're going to check in with Patrick because we Mm -hmm. we had a great show last week with with Brian was wonderful to give Brian, you know, the opportunity to talk about his experiences. Mm -hmm. And we committed something, Patrick, what do we commit to on your birthday, you're going to do what?
1: Uh, on my birthday, uh, we're going to do an episode where uh, I talk about mo- what emotional sobriety means to me uh, four years into my recovery. So, uh, oh, I'm beautiful. Looking forward to chatting with you guys about that. I'll have a lot to uh, talk about. Um, I'm sure I already do. When, when is your birthday? It is June first, so whatever okay. the closest okay. uh, date that falls to that. Okay. Um, well,
2: it's it's a good thing I wasn't here because I would have had none of that. I would I would have I would have squashed it. I would said no way, we're <laughs> not going to let Patrick do that. But it's got, I'm now happy that it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. It's. Uh, I, I I've reached a point where I'm just happy with the way things are going, and I uh, I fear losing that. I don't know if you, you can relate to. You know, whereas before it was just terrible, and I was mm-hmm. struggling to attain some measure of mm-hmm. you know stability or a fond feeling about my life and myself. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, you know, getting a lot of compliments about how well I'm doing, and I just want to be sure I'm keep living up to those compliments.
2: Well, there's, a, you know, you know, and we don't want to, we don't want to get carried away to any great depth with with any fears, but it's that's a healthy fear. I mean one of the first thing in my book embracing fear one of the, the first things I do is say we got to we don't we don't, don't want to put fear in a category of a bad emotion it's like you know it serves an amazingly important purpose for us as human beings but also as recovering human beings we need to, you know it's it's in some ways it's it's before things become more natural to us what we find is that we we may, we still fear some things but we fear other things more and like losing losing what we have gained is one of those healthy fears that, that, and and don't you see that, Alan, that that kind of emerges with clients as you're working with them too, as you get to a place where all of a sudden they're going, they don't even necessarily know how to name that, that feeling, but it's like, no, no, now, now I'm, now I'm, you know, that superstition, uh, the other shoe's going to drop that kind of stuff kind of kicks in and, and it's like, and we need to address it. It's
0: beautiful. And, you know, the other thing that comes up when you say it Patrick is just how important this is to you. Mm -hmm. it's everything no it is man that's what that means when you say you're afraid of losing it it's that you've really found something that's of incredible value to you and has really impacted your life in ways you could have never imagined
1: do you understand like I was asked yesterday what if somehow God touched you on the forehead and made you not an alcoholic and a drug addict. And would that be wonderful? And would I, would I, uh, you know, mm-hmm. would I, what, would I well up with tears of joy, if mm-hmm. that were to happen to me. And like, I, you know, my answer was something to the effect of, well, I wouldn't be me if that happened. Like mm-hmm. my consciousness, it's all kind of like yeah. tied together. Right. So like, that's why I that's wouldn't true. wish for that. Right. That's because
2: true. now I say, I remember, uh, and I bet you can identify with this as well, It's like I remember when I was young, young into the program, and I remember I remember hearing a guy talk talking in an AA meeting saying he was grateful to be an alcoholic, and I, and my you know, and I'm I'm fucking total control freak, at the, you know, to, you know, and in full bloom, and it's like i my, I remember my thoughts exactly. I knew I knew immediately he misspoke. He meant he meant to, he meant, uh, you know, I was editing his words. He he meant that he was grateful to be recovering from his alcoholism. He accidentally said he was grateful to be an alcoholic. I thought, well, that, of course, he's not grateful to be an alcoholic. You know, and then I heard somebody else say that down the line. And then, you know, and I, and I don't know if this is exactly what it happens. but it feels is then I heard myself say it eventually and realized that, yeah, I it's I, Michael J. Fox said this in his in his first book. He said, if somebody said I could take away your parking. You know, he said he said I would tell him. To, no, I don't. This is a part. this is this is this is so much a part of of how I have become who I am.
1: Yeah. 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 Right on. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we still got the space in the episode. Um, I it just occurred to me that you guys um, have each been in. Long, fruitful relationships um, in mm-hmm. which I'm sure your emotional sobriety has been. Uh, you know, grown and tested in uh, important ways. And I just thought it would be lovely to hear from you guys about some of those things. Um, There's, there's uh, even a chapter in Alan's book about it. So we could, uh, (laughs) we could maybe retread a little bit of that. If you guys are feeling up to it.
2: I am. And and by the way, it's tested and growth. It's not growth and tested. It's like we, we, the tests seem to come first. Uh,
0: You know, we get, we get that. And that's where we grow. The first book, that was ever that i ever wrote and was published by hci books and it was mm-hmm. called love secrets revealed and it's a whole oh book. yeah it's a whole book and in that book i dedicated that book to my work with dr walter kempler and most of that book are things that that i learned in my 20 years of association with him through probably observing Over 100 clinical demonstrations um, in doing probably over 100 clinical demonstrations with him Mm -hmm. um, In going to Europe for eight years and spending weeks at a time over there conducting workshops with Walt and without Walt. And so I just had the good fortune of being mentored and, and being an apprentice of one of the pioneers in family therapy. Walt's considered one of the pioneers in family therapy. In fact, he's in the book that is written about kind of an overview of all of family therapy. Mm -hmm. And he's considered one of the pioneers in that book. So I was very fortunate to spend that time with him and learn so much. And, um, you know, a lot of it gets integrated because to me, it's hand in glove with emotional sobriety. The way that walter talked about relationships that's from a gestalt therapy point of view which is about taking responsibility for yourself you know standing on your own two feet in fact fritz Perls was quoted as saying that emotional maturity is the transcendence of environmental support to self-support which mm-hmm. is what we talk about is transcending emotional dependency to self-support right to the ability to hold Mm -hmm. on to ourselves to take care of ourselves so this topic about relationships and and emotional sobriety i mean is really to me what all of this stuff is about it's about how we show up in our relationships Mm -hmm. you know relationship with ourselves we've talked about that dealing with things like perfectionism But now this is talking about our relationships with others. And it's kind of interesting, Patrick, the way you put it, which I'm game for, um, it was a little hesitation I had about it, but I'm open to to doing it this way. You invited Tom and I to talk about our personal experiences in relationships. Mm -hmm. And let's do that today. And then next Mm -hmm. week, we'll just talk about from a professional perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, those things are not independent. You know, who I am as a person affects how I function as a clinician, how I function as a clinician affects who I am as a person. You know, they're, 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 they definitely, you know, my experience as a therapist has influenced my work tremendously or my life tremendously, but also my life has experienced, has influenced my work as a clinician tremendously. Right. So they, they go hand in glove. But well, the, to today, Tom, you want, shall we? Yeah, oh, oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, the, you the, you've one had of like, the, 15 marriages right
2: up to this uh, point. Uh, not, not quite. Marriages. Not no. quite. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's actually it's two. two. <laughs> it's two. That's right. Had it's two. Two. I've, okay. had three. I've had Okay. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look you, got, you, you got time. <laughs> Tom, in, in D- don't, you- no, don't be casting stones, buddy. But, you know, I want to say something about the about the about the, the back and forth with the, the, or the or the or the continuity with with personal and professional is one of when I'm doing professional training workshops. One of the things I, I, I tell the the participants is, is, you know, we 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 have the challenge and what I think is a tremendous opportunity to be, to have what I call the, to work with the uh, hypocrisy principle. And the hypocrisy principle to me is the idea that that if we're, if we're sitting in our, in our spaces to d- to do our work with our clients and we're doing that, or we're doing workshops or we're doing sessions and that kind of stuff at the end, at the end of at least some of those days, we need to be asking ourselves on the way home. How am I doing? You know, if I was in a session with Patrick that day, how am I, how am I doing with the things I was saying to Patrick today, how am I personally doing? And when I, you know, when I tell what I say in these workshops to the, to the other clinicians is if, if, and if you're, if you're coming up clean every time, if you're thinking, oh, I'm doing I'm doing great with that stuff, then you're not looking close enough. It's like, because we're not always, you know, that's, it's actually one of the things, you know, you know, some, some therapies, a lot of things, but sometimes it's just damn, especially group therapy is just, emotional bumper cars you know you you see that in our thursday uh support group you know somebody brings something up and just you know it's, it's 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 a beautiful thing it's it's difficult things sometimes but it bumps in and so you can you can come in feeling great about something and then come out th- being very thoughtful about something else but it's that's definitely true in our in our, our primary relationships it's like um you know, it's 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 like it's it's and I've 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 found it tough, uh, more, more difficult when something in a couple's relationship taps into my stuff with, 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 with Didi, uh it, that's harder for me uh, just personally. I just find it a, a, a scarier place to go than just the place where somebody taps something from family of origin that reminds me of my own mama or whatever, because it's, it's immediately present, you know, here and now, because, because it's, it's like, I'm going, I am becoming becoming aware. Oh shit. Here's something I've going to have to deal with yeah and uh, and and on uh, the other side of that I've also gone home many times and just put my arms around her and said I'm so grateful for what we have and 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 the reason and that's not just oh cuz we have it so good and other people don't cuz we fought we worked hard to to get where we are I mean, that's one of the most important things I always want to tell people is like, you know, I, I always go back to to I, I say I can I can I could probably find it with a little little effort is like a journal, you know, back in the earlier days of our relationship where there's I journaled all the time back in those days. And, and the on that day, there was only the date and the, the sentence was this woman hates me. You know, that's and and I and I don't even know. I don't remember the details of that day. I don't know if Dee, Dee would even agree with that at that point, because one of the things I've learned through emotional sobriety is, it, you know, it, it, that we don't have to agree on that. It's uh, but I know that that's that's what it felt like. And it's like it was it, we went to really we went to some really difficult places. To work through this stuff and and what it feels like now, and I'm not saying we can't bump into stuff tomorrow, but 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 the the positive the the life we have together now is is you know I tell sometimes some of the foundation of that is made from scar tissue, you know, from the work that we've done, and it's like and and what we've learned is that we can trust each other, yeah, you know, when the shit hits the fan, I don't I don't like I don't like conflict any more than I ever have. But I, but I can look across the room, you know, or right next to me, and say, "She and I can do this together because we've done it." Yeah, I, I, I just, I just launched into that. I'm not sure that even was in response to what any what you oh, said. Oh, that's, that. that's beautiful. We,
0: we were talking yeah. about the 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 marriage between our professional life and our personal life, mm-hmm. and and there's definitely yeah. a there. I mean, oh, absolutely, it's, it's really a connection, and it's you know, I, you know, I my um my first marriage patrick was to a childhood sweetheart denise we're still very good friends today and um i met i, I sold her a pair of shoes when i was 16 years old <laughs> you know, shoes? i sold her a pair of, i still remember the shoes a pair of black suede shoes that were in they looked so hot on her feet i, <laughs> I don't have a foot fetish but with her i did hey, but- And, and, and I mean, she was the (laughs) cutest little thing I'd ever seen. And, uh, and so that was, and then I was driving down the street one day with my buddies and we saw her walking with a girlfriend and I started hanging out the window saying, Hey, hey, you, you know, remember me and stuff like that? You know, Hey, what's (laughs) going on? God, you look so cute and stuff like that. I said, Hey, would you like to go out? And she said, yeah. So I got her phone number and we started to date and, and she was just finished up with, with this guy that lived in, in a part of her neighborhood. I was from a place called Robert Square Park. That's where we hung out. We were a pseudo gang. I mean, we weren't like a gang that you hear about today, but we were a bunch of guys that would hang out and we were cooler than Wilson Park, but Wilson Park, Thought they were cooler than us. Oh, and then there was another park that they were from. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, I some stuff started where th- our park went and beat up some guys from their park, which were friends with guys from this other park. And it started this big fight. That's and true. yeah, and, I mean, it was so crazy, man. It was so crazy. And then I was gone. I went to the mm-hmm. Marine Corps and um so that's i was dated her when i was 16 was crazy about her oh and i remember this i lied about having sex with her i wanted to have sex Mm -hmm. with her but i was always too shy i wasn't a real Mm -hmm. one of those aggressive Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. i was always too shy but i told all my buddies she was a great lady right Mm and all this other Mm -hmm. and after we got married she says and i told her this story she says I wondered why all your friends were calling me <laughs> after you left town. <laughs> <As> they, <laughs> they thought I was easy. Well, when we got married, it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, So I left, I went to the Marine Corps at 17, came came back to Chicago. So from 17 to um, I, in 1969, 72, I was out of the Marine Corps and back in Chicago, 72, 73. I didn't see her then moved over to California. And then I got into the psychotherapy stuff. Right. And I, and I wanted to go to this big conference in Chicago called the association of humanistic psychotherapy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it was in Chicago. So I'm at this, it was downtown. I said, I'm going to go see if I can find Denise. I'm like 25 or 23 years old. It was a couple mm-hmm. years later. Right. So, mm-hmm. so what is that? That puts us if I was born in 52 and in 75, right around 75. So I go to her neighborhood. I take the elevator and stuff like that. And I go to her house and there's a light up in her bedroom. And I I think she's up there and I'm throwing stones up at the damn window to try to get her attention. Well, she doesn't come to the window because she thought it was this guy she just broke up with that she couldn't shake that was stalking her. But I left a message. By, by the way,
2: Patrick, that was cell phones back in those days. That, that's how we, that, that's, that, was, that was that 75 cell phones was rocks rock at okay. the window. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you guys used <laughs>
0: telegraphs. So I left a note for her. She called me at the hotel and she came down and had dinner with me. And I she was even cuter. And <laughs> she was very interested in me as well. Invited her to come out to California. She did. And we had this great, great romance. And we got married. We got married in in my therapist's backyard. How about that? In California. And it was, I mean, you know, I still, she, she holds a very, very special place in my heart. We had a great relationship in many, many ways. There were so many ways that, that we were connected. I'm very immature now. So I'm very, you know, four or five years into my recovery, mm-hmm. you know, still King baby stuff all over the place and stuff when things don't go my way. And we would play tennis and we were, she was so competitive with me. She would beat me and I'd hate it. And then when I'd beat her, she would hate it and we would be fighting. I mean, it was one of those passionate, passionate mm-hmm. relationships, And um, she was uh, studying to be a a medical student. She was pre-med 4.0, very bright woman. And I was working on my psychology degree. And about, so in 78 or 77, we ended up getting pregnant. And neither one of us wanted a child at that point. You know, I'm not pro life or pro abortion i'm i'm just more practical and at that point in mm-hmm. time we just said this doesn't fit with our lives and so mm-hmm. we decided not to have a child and it was sad and she wasn't she was mm-hmm. you know raised roman catholic so that was a tough decision mm-hmm. for her but what happened is that while she was having the abortion the pain was so great she told the doctor if he could give her a tubal ligation And that meant she was sterilized, right? Mm -hmm. That there was no more possibility unless you could do some surgery of her having a child. Mm -hmm. Well, part of what I always wanted was to be a dad. Mm -hmm. Now, we never talked about these kinds of things. I mean, there was so much unsaid between us. But when she came back and told me this and now took away the possibility of having a child with her. Now, cause she was clear, she made her decision. I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to adopt any children. I don't want to have any children. I don't want to be a mom. I was confronted with the hard reality that I wasn't going to be able to have that experience with her. <laughs> and it was something I really wanted. And it was a tough time, man. I was not my best self. She was having a lot of pain emotionally about the abortion. I wasn't supportive. I said something very cruel to her, and she hauled off and slapped me and knocked my glasses across the room, and I deserved every bit of that slap. Mm -hmm. Um, But that became the beginning of the end for us. Um, I realized that as much as I loved her, it wasn't going to work out, and I got accepted right at that time to go up to UC Davis for my Ph.D., and so she was still finishing up her work down in, you know, Cal State Long Beach. So I moved up there. She was down at Long Beach and I just decided that our marriage is over. This is not what I want. Hard decision. I cried. I was in a lot of pain. Closest I can, I've come to drinking in my last five decades was at that moment. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I, I remember... It, yeah, yeah you know I, I remember going to a bar with a friend of mine um and we were sitting there and she says well, what would you like to drink you know i would drink you know perrier or something like that and mm-hmm. listen you know to the music or entertainment and stuff like that and i almost ordered a vodka screwdriver i was at and i left that place i called tom my sponsor immediately mm-hmm. I said, man i'm not in a good place and we talked and he helped me through it But then when I was up at Davis, then I filed for a divorce and we got divorced. She was surprised. Mm -hmm. You didn't expect it at that point, but she understood it afterwards in terms of what I said. This is just too important to me. But it was and why I'm bringing that up is because I really if you asked me. How clear were you about what you wanted and what was important to you? I wasn't going into that relationship. Right. I really, even though I had done a lot of work on myself and in therapy and all these things, I was such, I was so young. Yeah, I that's what I'm thinking. It, you know what yeah. I mean? In so many ways. And and um, that's what Walter, while, while I was in, I was very close to Walter at that time. And he was very helpful. I mean, he's the one that said, Al, look, I know it's hard, but you got to face that you guys are going in different directions. You're not riding in the same way. She wants to go north. You want to go south. It's, you know, that's an irreconcilable difference. And I saw it. I mean, he really helped me see that very clearly. And so, um, so then I started my path, you know, I was going off. Now I'm up in Davis working on my doctorate. She's down there finishing up and she had a very great career. She never went into medicine. She decided she went another way. She went into sociology and then became a a head of some big insurance fund. I mean, very successful career on her part. But, you know, it helped me. And this is what I want to say is, you know, we talk all the time in emotional sobriety. Every experience we have has a lot of information in it. There's a lot of data that every experience is packed with. And our job, if we get out of our way, if I don't blame myself, if I don't should myself, if I stay connected to the experience, I can extract from that experience a lot of information about my life. And out of that marriage, I really got clear on what I wanted in my life. Mm-hmm. And I had never asked those questions going into a relationship before. If somebody liked me, that was good enough. <laughs> I mean oh, yeah you know what I mean? We're, was, we're ahead of the game, yeah,' you know I mean I had that was a win. that was I couldn't expect any more than that. Almost. well, we be, we better move fast before they figure it out, right?. <laughs> <It's> yeah,
3: <exactly. laughs>
0: so so now here I am, a single guy, you know, I think we divorced in 1976. So, I'm now 24 years old or 25. No, no, we're 70 now. What am I talking about? You know, I'm like um, 70, I'm 27 or 28 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm a single guy now. I'm up at school and I'm sitting down and really looking at what is it that I want in a relationship? Mm-hmm. What am I looking for? Because there were a lot of things I loved about Denise and what we experienced, and there's mm-hmm. things I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I started to generate a list. That's what Walter asked Mm -hmm. me to do. He says, man, Mm -hmm. I want you to really look at at, it, you know, use this pain you're in to get clear on what's important to you. And we did, man, he worked with me on it. Um, And um, I realized that, look, anybody that I'm with after this point needs, you know, they, they need to have a desire to be a, you know, to have children because I want to mm-hmm. be a father in my mm-hmm. life. That's an important thing for me. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is in terms of the emotional sobriety part, we talk about self-differentiation being so important, which is having a clear understanding of ourselves and what's important. You know, I, I was able to do that. Now, I didn't realize because I didn't have the clarity I have today about this emotional dependency on her, how reactive I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were passionate in in our lovemaking and we were passionate Mm -hmm. in our fighting, man. Mm -hmm. We would go after each other. But so much of it was this emotional dependency when I look back in terms of how engaged we would be and we would fight what seemed to be over the most ridiculous things But they really weren't. They were a struggle about how much individuality and how much togetherness we would have. So that was marriage number one well let, let me let me say let me make a point here because i want to make a contrast that, that
2: really is about emotional sobriety and th- that there's maybe a perspective that you haven't considered for yourself but i back back contrast you can see this uh, first, first of all with my first marriage i i agree with you it's like I, I would say to people that if you if you didn't know anything about us you would think we got divorced because we couldn't decide what movie to go see or where to eat dinner because those are the things we were actually arguing about but we never were you know necessarily getting down to anything but but the way the way our my first marriage and your first marriage ended it's like you did something you did something in, in your story that I uh, you know I admire because it was it was a place that I was not able to do at all and was nowhere close to and I was nowhere close to sobriety either during that marriage uh, but you made a decision you know you 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 clearly made a decision and you owned your decision. That you were the person who wanted out of the marriage and got out. I, this is, and, and you'll, you'll recognize this from other people, you've known and, and, and worked with, I was, uh, this, this became a pet peeve of mine. Once I recognized it on the other side of in recovery is I, I needed to do that. I needed to own that. I was the one who wanted out of my, my first marriage, but I re- refused to claim it. I always said, no. That's what it was. And ultimately, the short version of that is, is what I did is I became an asshole, enough of an asshole and enough dead weight combination back and forth uh, with my depression that the person who uh, my first wife's name was Karen, the person who was who wanted the marriage to work and who was willing to do whatever it took to make the marriage work had to ultimately take it out back and shoot it because she had, she she, talk about differentiation. The way I describe it is she had to stop listening to my words and just listen to my behavior. And this is a lot about addiction, but it's just, it's, but it's not just addiction. This is about the stuff I had to work on after I got sober. It's, It's just courage you know and and basically the you know the the first letter of amends I made uh when i when 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 I got to that place in my recovery was was to her and to thank her to 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 not apologize because i I learned it wasn't about apology, but to acknowledge that that she that I forced her into a position that that she never should have been in. you know she I, if she was representing herself, she should have been able to represent herself wanting the marriage to work, and I should have said. I want out. I'm going to go do whatever that is, no matter what that decision is. And so, when I hear you say that, I want you to know that whether we called it emotional sobriety or just being a better grown up at that time, whatever, that's that's that, you know. And I, want, I guess I want people. I'm thinking about people listening. Is is you know we do we do listen to people's stories and we compare, but we need to realize that there's lots and lots of of, of moving parts to these things. So that, that in that case, you're talking about what your growing edge was coming out out of that. And I'm sitting there going like, well, you know, at, at, at you know, at, at, at a very young age, you had, you had something going for you that uh, that I didn't have, you know, when I, when I was getting divorced, you know, in my
0: thirties. Well, so it's figure out, it, Tom is that you weren't committed to, you know, living a life consciously at that point in time mm-hmm, then, where mm-hmm, your depression and drinking mm-hmm, and, you know, it was really running your life. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, like you said, man. That's it's it's very sad when I hear you say that. that mm-hmm. you are so lost. Well,
2: but I but I was in therapy. I was doing all that stuff. I just you know I just didn't didn't mention the drinking.
0: Well, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, you left that out a little. <laughs> I left left that out a lot (laughs) under my bed that I haven't cleaned out yet. That's uh, I know we tend to leave stuff like that out, but Mm -hmm. you're right, man. See if you talked about that, that might've been on the table sooner Mm -hmm. for you to to Mm -hmm. deal with, but you were protecting it. That's what we do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But the, the point, the point being that at whatever level, we're doing this, you, you know, wherever you, well, first of all, you know, shaming ourselves and guilting ourselves is dropping anchor. It's like, you know, if you're sailing across the water and you drop the anchor, it's like, if, if it's, if it's the water shallow enough, you'll stop. And if it's, if it's not, you'll slow down a lot. And that's what, that's what that anchor is. Pull that anchor up and realize, okay, well, okay, that's, and it's what is going back to what you said. What did, you know, what was the value looking back with that? Well, the value of that for one value of that for me was to learn a a valuable lesson over time. And I, and it, you know, and, and when we're telling these stories, you know, these insights, you know, come in a sentence or two. They do not come that way in in in, in our real lives. But it's yeah. like the the value of, of of just how important it is to know that I am taking accepting full responsibility for myself and not putting putting you know, manipulating other people into making making decisions for me. You know, because because I don't want because I don't want to be honest and straightforward. It's like it's like it's just right at the top of my values clarification list. Because of that, so it's like, and I'm I'm like you. It's been it's been. I mean, we were divorced in 1981, so eighty no 83, and uh, so so we you know we we yeah, we
0: divorced in 79 or 80, right around mm, there.
2: Yeah, we so we're you know I, I I'm we're in, Karen Karen and I actually had a conversation at one point in in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in her car in a Kroger parking lot about five years after our divorce, in which we both were in the in a program. Uh, and and we, we were talking about how our, our current spouses, her her husband, Mark, and, and mine I was married to Dee, Dee It's like we're the we're the recipients, we're the beneficiaries of our amends. We were talking about amends being changes. And it's like and it's like and, 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 it, and it was like it was a really healing conversation because we both were, were able to say that's a good thing. You know, you know, you know, you know. I, what, what? You know, my my tendency was I was so self absorbed I probably couldn't even tell you what I would even imagine her amends had to be because I was. You know, uh, I'm I'm sure she wasn't perfect in, in the relationship, but but you know, you know, when when one, one sound is as you know, when me being an asshole is as loud as that was, it's a little hard to hear anything else. Uh, but, but it's, it, it's about moving forward is my point with that. It's like, you take it, it's what you said before, you know, and we say it all the time here learn from the past and get the hell out of there, gather up all the lessons and keep moving forward. And that's, and that's, I mean, and maybe, you know, maybe this is, you know, we are not focusing on exactly the, the, the marriage stuff at this point, but it's like, that is, that's the key to emotional sobriety is the key. It's the key to a healthy marriage. Yeah. Is the key to to an honest marriage.
0: Well, and that's the other thing that I found out is that, you know, the work I was doing is I was able to to have these very, very real conversations with her. Mm-hmm. And I've never done that in any of my relationships previously. Mm-hmm. You know, no,
2: I envy that when you tell that part of the story that you did that. You know, I, I, I think, wow. I yeah. was,
0: we were authentic, man. I mean, like I said, we would. Walter called it grinding. <laughs> I mean, we would grind in that relationship, and mm-hmm. and you know, it wasn't pretty at times. It was, it, but the the part that I appreciate about it, and I think that she does too, it was real. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything that wasn't being put on the table and struggled with, and and we knew where each other was at. I mean, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. there were things that you know, every relationship, you're going to have things you don't, you're not completely one right. transparent, nor should you be. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, it was, it was a very different experience than any other relationship I had up to that point. Many of my girlfriends, there was so much that I didn't share with them, talk about up to that point, didn't have a lot. I, I can look mm-hmm. back and think of maybe two or three People that I dated, you know, on and off during high school and stuff. And, and, um, but it it was th- that part I appreciated. And look, I was in therapy weekly at that point. I was mm-hmm. seeing Dr. Vivian Gary, who was a Gestalt therapist. Mm-hmm. She worked at the Naval Hospital, and, um, all the guys at the Naval Hospital were seeing her. She was so darn good. She became a therapist when she was in her 50s, Tom. Wow. Good for a- her. I know, before that. And, you know, by coming in so late, she had so much experience in her life, and she used it so well. But she Mm -hmm. was remarkably talented Mm -hmm. therapist, uh, trained in gestalt therapy, helped me tremendously. And later on, I became her colleague. We used to run groups together. We were clinical Mm -hmm. supervisors together at uh, at the South Bay Hospitals Programme. Very, very important person in my life um and did a lot of work and she was with me. The other thing I was going to say is that loss when I said i it you know it that was the closest I came to drinking one of the reasons was and I didn't realize this before, but it triggered the loss of my father, yeah, and all the grief I had inside about that, and I was overwhelmed not just with losing denise which you know, like I said, man, I was crazy about her. That's my childhood sweetheart, my first love, and um, and um, and then all the pain for about my dad and losing my dad came up, and that's what was so overwhelming to my ability to cope at that point in time. And that's what I started to get into. That this triggered a lot more grief work began. And here I am. And I thought, I remember naively saying, I thought I resolved all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I always say
2: I remember actually saying the sentence after I went through uh, one of Bedford Combs' uh, uh, week week long codependency retreats. I'm glad I've taken care of that family of origin stuff. How <laughs> <It's like, laughs> naive were we, right? Oh my God! I I think naive is a lightweight word for that one. It's like, but but uh, no, and, and you're talking about that emotional bumper car thing. It's like you know you have all that you know. I always tell people you know the feelings feelings don't you know events happen the past and they will happen in the future. Feelings only exist in the present. And if you're people go, why am I feeling this now? You know, it happened so long ago, like well, you're feeling it now because you haven't, it hasn't been expressed yet. It's like, it's, you know, just again, like your digestive system. If you haven't, it, if it's not gotten out, it's still in. And, and what you're talking about is, so you have all of that stuff. You had no idea necessarily that all that unresolved stuff was there for your dad, but the grief wasn't the grief of, of loss was there and it just bumped right into it. So it's like, nope, we're 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 it's we're all coming at now now. It's like, not "Just you know, you can't just you can't just take a piece of it and you can't you can't work with your feelings
0: a la carte. One of the most important parts if you're going to achieve emotional sobriety is to be able to learn from what you're experiencing. Because if if we if we don't learn from it, man, we're not going to grow. That's where the growth takes place, you know. From sitting there and digesting these experiences and really seeing what they mean about us and our themes in our life and what's important, mm-hmm. and 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 in ways how to use that grinding to refine mm-hmm. yourself and to sharpen, you know, your knowledge of yourself and and. And
2: yeah, that. and in the, in the lesson, the lesson, you know, one of my little nutshells says God doesn't flunk anyone, but but he sure gives a lot of retest. It's like the lesson is just going to keep showing up. You know, and if, and when, you know, and when you, and, and and you said a a word too that definitely I put a, there's a chapter in my Embracing Fear book about this, about themes. The name of the chapter is Encore, Encore. As a matter of fact, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, how do you know? And I always think, how do you know it's something's a theme that you need to address? Well, I tell you, it's something that comes up and just pisses the hell out of you because, because you're so sick of working on it. It's like, you know, and, and we tend to think, well, that means I've never learned anything. And, but the truth is, no it just means you have more this is a you know we all have those themes that will i don't know how the universe works but we have themes that we'll be working on you know from, the, from now until the time we drop off the the planet it's uh but it is it yeah it's i mean it really does come back it is about learning it's like it's um yeah it's amazing and i'm amazed and i'm amazed it's a little bit like what you were talking about earlier patrick you talk about you know your fear of what you know being in a new place where you fear losing what you have it's like like uh we we did a uh, you know i we talk about relationship i'll do a, pl- a quick plug for my for my book called what love is 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 you know the idea and i'll just say it this way when i finished that and and the idea that that i with my history of relationship yeah. felt like i was I mean, it was. I'm still a bit in awe of that. The idea that, and it's not all. It's. I mean, awe of the fact that I actually feel and felt at the time and feel comfortable enough to say I have something to teach about that. Not only that I know something about it, that that I. You know, because. Because you know, you know, you and I are—we don't claim—we don't claim to have all the damn answers. But but if we didn't, if we didn't, if we didn't perceive ourselves as having something worth sharing, you know, and worth somebody paying money for, sometimes for our books or, or our work or workshop stuff, it's like we wouldn't do it. It's like so. I mean, to me, it's just a testament. Like when we look at this stuff, I'm sure you feel some of the same stuff. It's like the you look at the stuff we've written and you look at it and go like, wow, that's such a long way that we've traveled. But it's but it's, you know, because we we stuck with it.
1: The common thread I I saw in your stories was um, you had to decide what you wanted and uh, you had to learn some things about who you were before you could uh, correctly assess the relationships you were in or take those in a positive direction. Um, And, you know, if I look at sobriety as Mm. just uh, part of a larger project rather than as an end. Unto itself, it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I'm able to actually learn the lessons now, yeah. rather than to be just stuck in that, that, repetitious feedback loop that you were talking about, Tom. Yeah, so that's it. That's, that's what it. I took from it. I yeah.
0: will uh, tell you what. What came to mind when you were saying that, Patrick, is that Abraham Maslow said something that was always important to me, and oftentimes only the first half is quoted, and the quote is, "The truth will set you free." Hmm. But what he really said was the truth will set you free, but only if you have the courage to live it. Yeah. And that's the piece that nobody ever says because that's the harder part Mm -hmm. is how do we, and so like you're looking at your my. if I'm looking at my emotional dependency, I was very scared of walking out of that. I didn't know where my life would go, what was gonna happen. I was emotionally dependent on her we were building a life together. You know, we didn't have much at that point in time. We were renting a, we had a one bedroom apartment together and, you know, we, we had two cars. I had a little Volkswagen Beetle that was, that cost 2,500 bucks. And she had a, I forgot what she was driving. I think it was a Dodge or something like that. Oh, a Datsun. She had a little Datsun that she was driving. Uh That's all we owned. that in, you know, Maybe two pairs of shoes and our jeans and T-shirts and some shirts. I mean, mm-hmm. that was our life. I mean, we we you know we were just getting by. I was getting a GI Bill about three hundred and eighty bucks. I was working part time. Um, I don't think she was working at that time. I made just enough for us to get through, and um, but yet we had more than we needed. Mm-hmm. I remember one of my favorite things was is we cooked a lot because that was a lot less cost a lot less to cook Mm -hmm. than it did you know and and to go out and to eat and going out once a week we did go out once a week and we went out to grandma's it was called it was a little coffee deli shop with bakery goods and stuff like that and they had the best carrot cake Mm -hmm. I have ever eaten in my life and on Fridays We'd go get a piece of carrot cake and some vanilla ice cream on top. Mm -hmm. And I thought I died and went to heaven every time I ate that. That was our big treat. That was our Mm -hmm. out-to-eat treat, right? That's all we could afford at that. But one of the favorite dishes I made was that homemade uh, cheesecake. You get that Mm -hmm. little graham cracker crust and you Mm -hmm. whip up, you know, a a thing of the the cream cheese. You know, Mm -hmm. add a little sugar to it, put a little lemon in it bake that, and then whip up some sour cream, add a little sugar to that, and lay it on top and put it in the fridge for an hour. Delicious. Mm. I
2: still love those. Well, well, two things, two things. First of all, Patrick, don't you wish that Alan could finally one day become connected to his emotions? It's like, he's, you know, he's, he's like, that would be cool. Uh, but the other is, is that, you know, you're talking about that, that cheesecake and uh, we did, you know, we, Patrick and I will be, coming to see you in June, by the
3: way. <laughs> We
2: expect to be
1: fed.
3: Can
2: you
0: taste the cheesecake? You I can taste it, it already, man. we Will do. It. Well, I'll we'll definitely cook you guys. All right. An incredible meal. Mm-hmm. And listen, please, if you're at all interested, you know, um, and you get inspired at in all, try to make it out to Lambertville. Oh, it's, it's beu- look yeah. up Harmony Hollow Farm. You'll see yeah. the whole area. It's so historic. I mean, it's where it's real close to where Washington crossed the Delaware and turned around the whole American Revolution. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting our butts kicked up to that point in time. and, And Washington made some very bold decisions, you know, that ended up turning around the whole the whole revolution. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff to go see, and the workshop's going to be amazing. I know that it's going to be
2: amazing, and and for those of you who've been listening to us for a while, and and them so, so many of you who come to the Thursday the workshop, we, we I mean we would just. You know, this is my fantasy. I'm owning it as my own fantasy. But I just love to meet face-to-face as many people that we've been hanging out through COVID. We've been hanging out for two years together, you know. I mean, I have people I feel, you know, well, new friends that I have that, you know, we live in a, you know, it's 2022. And, you know, here's I'm talking to my good friend, uh, you know, I say with ease, my good friend Patrick Newman, that, you know, I have yet to to touch him you know, i will be glad. I look forward to giving you a big hug. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. And hey, listen, let's, we'll continue this discussion on, I, you know, you, I want to hear more about your, your marriage, Tom. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of took the lead today on mine. So mm-hmm. why don't we spend some time? Talking. Well, you
2: got some, you got some extra marriages in there. You got to talk to about
0: too. Now, see, I only got a couple. So yeah. <laughs> I, I always smile because Walt had five marriages by the time he passed away. I, I'm not so sure I'd count the last one in his life, because it's when he had his brain cancer. And, and um, I think he was really desperate to have somebody in his life to take care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it was. She was more a caretaker, I think, than, mm-hmm. than a wife of like mm-hmm. any others. Mm-hmm. But I always say, well, God, didn't that make you question what he did? I said, no, because Walt was such an honest man. he always looked at what was going on for him that mm-hmm. made it difficult. and he wasn't an easy man to be with. I mean even in our relationship I, we, gr- we did a lot of grinding. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know he alienated a lot of people because he was a really you know very powerful man and it took a lot to stand up to him. In fact, that's when I used to go do the workshops in Europe and I would challenge him in front of his students. They'd come up to me afterwards go, god nobody ever talks to him like that <laughs> because i would be the young oh, turd yeah young yeah term. yeah i'm not so sure that's right walt come on now and then he'd go mm-hmm. oh, we'd go at it i mean it was great i grew a lot through it so look at excited about next week me too yep. uh, we'll continue this discussion next week
3: tinge your life tinge your myth Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with, then with glass and hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human, never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing entertain me like nobody else. So here's to us, my old friends, until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again. With glass in hand and children on one knee, bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.